You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of The Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live here from Budgie Smuggler Studios in downtown Batuta. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and of course, Errol Parker. How are you, Errol? Good, mate. It's a beautiful day outside, beautiful day inside. Hoping everyone's looking after themselves, particularly down there in uh, South Brisbane. You should avoid the bubble tea for now, I think. Acacia Ridge, Woodridge, we're thinking about you. Lock it down. Lock it down. We don't want another Victoria up here. Speaking of Victorians uh, up here, the Melbourne Storm are... Uh, Melbourne Storm are up here. They're the Sunshine Coast Storm. They're doing all right. Uh, that's probably what's saving the Queensland sides right now from being excluded from this comp with the new border closure. You could actually write off all Queensland clubs yeah. right now. You could, you could cut the fat and continue the season without them, except for the fact that the Storm are isolating in Queensland. So that means the show will go on. And for the first time in years, I think that Cameron Smith is able to commute from his home up here in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he might continue doing that uh, if the rumours are true for his final season. One can only hope. Now, on the topic of league, you know, of course the NRL season is heating up. We just had Indigenous round and that was um, that was a great success. Good to see the Dragons get flogged again. Yeah, and it was great to see, you know, all the try scorers for the Bunnies were Koori footballers. It was a great round and some great jerseys getting out there, some great dance and, uh, you know, a celebration of Indigenous culture. But this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about another uh, community that's contributed quite a lot to rugby league and rugby union for that matter. Uh, but in, in this particular story... We're talking about the Pacific Revolution in Rugby League. And we're joined by Patrick Skeen, who is the the biographer of Olsen Philippina, who was, uh, I guess, one of the first Usos to do it. Patrick, thank you for joining us today. A pleasure, gentlemen. Wonderful to be on the Batuta. Now, can you tell us a little bit about this story? I mean, you have written and um, told the world a story that a lot of people would have known about in Balmain and, and Ride and that part of Sydney. But there's a lot more to this story. Olsen Philippina was one of the first Kiwis to come across the ditch. He was one of the first. There had been traditionally forwards had come across. Henry Tartana, uh, Oscar Danielson. There'd been some Pacific mm. outliers before then. There was uh, the, to- the Toga brothers who were Fijians. But the Winfield Cup era, and let's call, round that up to 1980s onwards when, when league um, got serious and the televised era where um, you could watch, start to watch it in New Zealand. It's funny, the Kiwis used to have to go down to the video store on a Thursday to get the previous weekend's games and rent it out and, <laughs> and they would watch them furiously. Such is the yeah. rugby union domination of, um, of New Zealand that the, the league fans would have to watch videos. And, and poor pre-internet yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. You, you t- so you really had to, and rugby league weeks would cost you $15 back in the day, which yeah. is 30 or $40 now. Wow. So, so, and, and New Zealand was always just a colony the provinces of Australia, we, I can't say any of us would have known our Fox, a Fox Memorial Cup team. Yeah, yeah. Yet it was huge in New Zealand. They used to get crowds seven or eight thousand on on big days. So we've had this bubbling colony mm. off the coast that we gave no respect to. We acknowledged some hard forwards that would mm. could come in, and that's all all we acknowledged because there was this terrifying period of international rugby league between seventy one and eighty three where New Zealand effectively lost 14 in a row and it was a bit like the All Blacks and the Wallabies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just... In reverse, where yeah. and look at the power differential now, New Zealand's calling the shots. Well, Australia did that yeah. in rugby league. Olsen was the first big time. There was Lloyd Martin, uh, who was a, a, a Maori, and there was the Sorensen brothers, you know, half Danish, half 
Tongan. What a <laughs> what a potent mix. The Vikings of the Pacific and the Vikings of the Atlantic. Uh, well, all yeah, together no, and... well, there was lots of Danes there. I mean, of of course, you know, the great leader of Queensland, Sir Joe Bianchi Peterson. He was half Danish, half yeah. Kiwi. So Olsen Filipina was a uh, Maldi Samoan born and raised in South Auckland. Not born, but raised in South Auckland in one of those 10 suburbs where yeah. rugby league is dominant. He was born, funnily enough, in another rugby league heartland, which is Northland. Yeah. And Northland are the Napui people. The Napui people are a really incredible group of people in, in history. They, were, they brought the British army to its knees in the, in the Northern Wars, thrashed them convincingly through strategy and this, these unique forts where they invented trench warfare, they invented bunkers for bombs, and the British brought in their cannons and gave them three days of, of, of pepper and then humiliated them. Uh, there's still 114 Brits lying in the graves up there in, in, in Ohio. So we've got the, he comes from this unbelievable fighting tribe, but they're also great traders, and they were the, the sweet potato farmers. So it's the sweet potato capital up north. That's where the climate's nice for, for sweet potato. Yam country. But he was brought up Napui. So... I did read in the book you wrote uh, they were the first to sign the treaty and then they were the first to start killing people when the treaty was broken. Yeah, they are they are not a group you mess with. And they were the first to get muskets and they yeah. went down south yeah. and, 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 and ran amok and yeah. they were feared uh, right throughout the, the North Island. And they decided to, to make the move to Auckland. That's where the money the money was. I've been up there to uh, Olsen's Marae, his, his temple as such. And it's unbelievably beautiful country, country, and he's been reconnecting because when they got down to Auckland, they were basically had their Maori history scrubbed yeah. because the Napui are, are, are branded as headhunters and cannibals and all the negatives are in that sort of inter-Maori sledging. That's, yeah. the, that's the one they, they cop for their sins. So he was scrubbed of that. So I went back with Olsen and we met the leading Napui storyteller and we had four hours on the couch where he just gave them the, the whole stories and yeah. it was a very emotional time for, for Olsen. And he's learning, but his father came across when he was 10 years old on a, on a scholarship from Samoa, stayed for two years of school in Auckland and just headed up north. There used to be itinerant Samoan gangs that did brush cutting and fencing that yep. would move around. Timber loppers. Cowrie gum, yep. which is used to make floor polish. They used yeah. to dig these cowrie gum blocks. Um, and he met his mother up there in one of these gangs and he learnt Maori. So he used to be able to talk the Samoan, his Samoan father. And he used to box in his spare time once he got to 18 for, for, for cash as well. And they met up there, had their, had a couple of sons, and then they came down. And the, the story of coming did to Auckland and the big capital cities is one of the big stories of New Zealand's history where in poverty out on the Marae, they decided to come in to the cities and realised that the real money was reserved for people that had university educations and got caught in the trap of, of just being considered good for menial, menial labour. And you combine that with the other great phenomena, which is the importation of Samoan and Tongan and other uh, Polynesian labour to do all that factory work. Once the New Zealanders hit the middle class, they didn't want to do the road work and clean the toilets. So they brought in, it's the classic story of bringing a group in when um, there's an oversupply of work yeah. Yeah. and then turning on them once the work dries up and you yeah. see you know, the last in uh, tend to cop it the most. So those two shaping forces, and Olsen has both those uh, historic pieces of history in his, in his DNA. Yeah. So he's, he's formed by both, both of those. But it all lands and the story um, all starts with South Auckland, yeah. uh, which was um, a suburb that was designed to house these uh, blue-collar workers. One thing I've, I've learned in my research is if you lose identity and culture, it's a very, very dangerous thing and it creates a vacuum that 
other things can walk into. And a lot of those Samoans that came down and Maori that came down disconnected from their Maori and Samoan culture weren't picked up or made to feel welcome by the new culture and got caught in that dangerous no man's land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing that uh, rugby league, and, and it has done in Australia too, provides uh, people in those in those kind of um, positions is yeah. a, 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 even if it's a makeshift community that you can put together. And I guess that was what was happening in Mangere East, the club that Olsen became a bit of an icon at. Even as a teenager, he became a uh, household name across that area. Is, is that where rugby league kind of fit into the picture or was that was that something that was just always going to happen anyway rugby league because of its family positioning has been perfect for the polynesian community because it's a community that is all about the extended family the wealth is shared so trade unions rugby league are very were very powerful offerings and they were rugby league was often the first thing that a Samoan community member had voluntarily joined. You know, you joined the school, whatever, but you still may not be feeling New Zealand. And then you get to volunteer and work the canteen and the things that have made Australia great worked out there. I was told by a few guys that it was the only place um, outside church that they didn't have Samoan community centres there. The Rugby League Clubhouse was the only place they could pull out the guitar and be themselves. And you're always grateful to wherever you can show your personality and you're not cramped. Yeah. And trying to be something else, or, or and then they, after a game, because the bre- it was the sport of the breweries, the warehouses, the wharves, yeah. the meatworks, and when the Maori came in, they were working alongside the white working class, and rugby league was the sport of the white working class almost exclusively. There's no middle class real yeah. uh, representation in New Zealand until the Warriors came on and yeah. the NRL Showtime, first pro sport, pro team in New Zealand. And it was quite a glamorous launch. So they, they launched into the middle class then. But back then it was just hard working class, humble, quiet mm-hmm. men. And the Pacific, a very good matchup for that. Yeah. They became best mates because they're working next to each other. And it's like, hey, I can do with 115 kilo prop on my team yeah. as well. And it was yeah. a natural fit for everyone. So how much, just for the listeners at home, how, how much could a player in South Auckland expect to earn each game? Some players, it was all for a case of beer. Um, yeah. Some players, if you were poached, you might get 50 bucks a win, yeah. 100 a win. I remember there's a story in the book about the Auckland rep team who completed the Grand Slam in 1977 of defeating Australia, England, and France for yeah. provincial in, in, in consecutive weeks. <laughs> and at half time against the Aussies, the sponsor came down and said, there's 500 bucks in it for you guys. To, if you can hold on for the second half and they reckon it was an amount of money that made the 15 guys go giddy and they were running around like they were seized with fever for the second half to hold to hold the Aussies out. So um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about the Mad Butcher? I, like this is an identity. Uh, he's, he's a household name in New Zealand. Australians don't know about this man, but he's basically the, the Russell Crowe or the Nick Politis of... Uh, of New Zealand when it comes to propping up and, and, and you know, rugby league, uh, contributions to rugby league. It's the Mad Butcher, a.k.a. Sir Peter Leach, is a rugby league story, the essence of rugby league. He was a gravedigger from Wellington, um, left school at 15, came up to Auckland, decided to get into the meat business, opened his very first butcher shop in Mungaree East in the heart of Pacific South Auckland, just by coincidence. 
starts paying, sees Olsen is a, a star for the Munger East Hawk youth and starts paying for all his boots, his gear, his travel for reps, just becoming a personal sponsor from Olsen from a very young age. So when the time came, when Rugby Union came knocking for Olsen, because Olsen played, uh, was the captain of the New Zealand Secondary School Boys Rugby League at 16, and was also in the New Zealand Rugby Union All-Stars schoolboys team at So 16. he was tipped for All Blacks. Oh, absolutely. And Joe Stanley, who played alongside him, said, absolutely, no yeah. doubt, Olsen yeah. was... His high school, Otahu College, came down and said, you've got to make the choice. And because the Mad Butcher had been supplying meat for the Filipina family functions, which are often 50 people yeah. in extended family, all coming down to eat meat... <laughs> A considerable line item on a Pacific family's <laughs> Woolies list, shopping list, has been removed. Yeah. And his father thought rugby union was a sport where only the white guys were making money mm. because there was that horrible era of shamaterism where they would treat rugby league guys like lepers mm. for earning $100 for a win, yet they were getting money in their boots. That disgusting era of high hypocrisy that was ended in 1995 yeah. again rugby union spooked by rugby league yeah. <laughs> jumping at shadows of super league yeah. and and professionalized and i remember reading about some union guys that said the moment we go professional there's no need for yeah, yeah, yeah. rugby league now you can just sort of filter back to the mothership <laughs> and it hasn't really uh, turned out that's why i read with glee that uh, that piece where volandis may even take over union down here <laughs> as, as punishment for their hubris if, if the price is right yep you know Volandis is in. So Peter Leach, uh, as a mad butcher, who obviously kept a lot of young Islanders in the game of rugby league, fell in love with the Mangere East team, and then became a sponsor. Became eventually became a sponsor of the Warriors. Yeah, and And he's the patron of the game, patron of the Kiwis, sponsor of the Warriors. (laughs) I think he ended up at about seventy or eighty stores in his butcher's chain. Yeah, right. And then sold out to venture capital. And he just lives on Waiheke Island, uh, yeah, right. and comes in and and, and runs. The, he runs a newsletter for rugby league, and is he turns up at all the games. And you know, I turned up at a game at Balmain, and there he was at the at the function. Insists on going and sitting out with the Warriors fans. So he's and he is Sir Sir yeah. Peter Leach now. So he's had one yeah. of the great arcs. And there's this theme in Olsen's career where he gets handed from one person to another. And you feel that if there was one break in that chain, we yeah. wouldn't be telling this story now. But he always had someone, a guardian angel, looking looking out for him. When he landed in Australia, he had the Dries family. So he effectively got a surrogate mother who took care of him in his dark hours. So it's um, it's amazing, this pipeline of love that he yeah. was he was passed down that enabled his, his, him to, to blossom to the greatness that we saw. So it was Balmain is what picked him up over here? Yep. Balmain Tigers, formerly yep. known as... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming over to, to Balmain, what type of money would you expect to earn there as, you know, a top flight player in 1980? 15000 a year. It's good. That's good cheddar back then. Yeah, that's, it was, it was that's, good. That's what, that's a, the equivalent of three Falcons back then. Thereabouts, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't yeah. too bad. But he, so, was, on, he yeah. was on good money, and that was one of the problems was these imports were getting always getting more money. It's the age-old story. Yeah. Imports were getting well, yeah. more money than the, the local yeah. local guys were just assumed they were rusted on Yeah, because there was still a chunk of loyalty then, and to move yeah, yeah. from Balmain to a, an opposition club was 
tantamount to treason and still yeah. the fans yeah. would be. I mean, you see a bit of it now, but back then where your identity was really tied and there were a lot of local boys playing still. Yeah. The, all the local regions were still strong. Even the Roosters were had a strong little comp going on producing local juniors. So to move a club was, was, was a big thing back then. Yeah. Um, he, Olsen's peak uh, contract was for the Roosters, $35,000. Arthur Beetson signed him, but Cronulla offered him eighteen grand a year. So from <laughs> Balmain to Cronulla, he went from fifteen grand a year to eighteen grand, and yeah. Roosters came in with you know Super League money. Yeah, yeah. Back then, a bit of a Hail Mary yeah. on the one-year contract, and Olsen's like, that's one year's work for two years' pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so he's, and he's just thinking of... He sent every cent home. I remember Gary Freeman saying to me, I hope Olsen's got more than one pair of shorts now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we all had that one leaguey friend that got around in one of those one pair of horrible league shorts for yeah, a whole yeah. a whole summer and they were versatile. You go to the beach in them, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. go to a funeral in them if you really knew the guy. <laughs> so in, in your book I wrote, I mean, you, the story of Olsen Filipino is, you know, there's, there's a story of, of the Pacific Revolution of Rugby League effectively and he was a pioneer of that. And he, I guess, he was one of the first. But now we're talking how many how many young kids come over a year purely to play rugby league? Oh, uh, but there's hundreds because they get them at fourteen. Yeah, eight, eight hundred, nearly a thousand yeah. a year. We'd be yeah. taking in a pure talent. Yep, at at, at all levels, out of, out, of, out of ten suburbs. And you don't need a visa anymore. No. Like you can just come over here and work. No worries. It's it's also second tier guys get called in to plug some of the gaps in country rugby league mm. yeah you start to see some polynesian names coming in through country rep teams yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know what are you doing out in you know west wyalong mm. and they just get <laughs> you know, we, the butcher. Yeah. we need a prop <laughs> job at the butcher and that farmer will devote that yeah. paddock's yield <laughs> to keeping Hurting the, the imports yeah, yeah. and shearers one one thing i noticed and um, you know you guys would be across is going through the old rugby league weeks just how massive country rugby league was yeah yeah the money they were offering so page after page of ads advertising for a captain coach in yeah. a place i'd never heard of yeah 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 Big ad well, with, with good with good money. So I really I, I really feel that you know if, if Philandis can do one more thing, yeah, seriously fix country rugby league because they used to know they used to know where everyone was from. You yeah. know, like they, I mean, Debellin, his grandfather played for Balmain. Yep. And then the reason Debellin grew up in the Southern Slopes is because his grandpa retired as captain coach of Cootamundra from a career at Balmain. Yeah. And then yeah. the same with Dallas Donnelly retires as the captain coach of Byron Bay. Like, yeah. there was good money. And it was Henry Tartan, the original big-time Maori, you know, mm. spent his final years at the Cessnock Goannas. <laughs> <laughs> and Ol- 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 Olsen yeah. had a year at Bowral in, in a group, oh, really? group six, playing with, you know, first time he'd played with farmers. You- Shitty would have hurt people down there. Yeah. <laughs> Some soft-handed <laughs> spuddies, Robertson spuddies. Yeah. Tell us a bit, this whole time we're talking about Olsen in New South Wales. And he's bouncing between clubs and he's, you know, he has had the same job since he arrived, the the galloping Garbo. A couple of weeks in, because in the old days, you used to turn up at the Garbo's depot in the morning and they'd just pick you out. And sometimes you'd rock up and you wouldn't get work because you'd often have another job and guys would be doing it for extra or Mm. they were league fanatics, a lot of garbage depots, so they would pick the leagueies um, who were there for cash. Leagueies love having everything done by eight. Yeah. Guys who like a midday sleep, and yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. you, you've done your exercise in the morning, and then you'd be training at three or four in the afternoon. Yeah. And they used to pick the leagueies, so Olsen uh, rocked up, 
It's interesting. Mungry East Hawks, Olsen's South Auckland club, signed a sister club relationship with the Wright Eastwood Hawks, and they used to yeah. play each other every year. And you know that beautiful cross Tasman cooperation. And so when Olsen came here, only he one was, club had pokies, though. Yes, only one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whoever had the pokies. That's yeah. a good friend to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, look at. Um, we laugh, but the Panthers' empire comes from yeah. you know, a single administrative decision that Queensland and, and New Zealand can't use pokies to fund their rugby league empires. Yeah, and even North yeah. in that little tin pot thing over at North would yeah. be a cash cow. Yeah, yeah. With with the argument of yeah. um, and the Taj Mahal at Carlton, I guess. You know, in another in another world, it's the BRL that has nine clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Sydney's busting to get one or two in yeah, and agitating, yeah. and it's Sydney launching Super League onto. Onto Red Hill. Yeah. So he remains in that role. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And people really love that because that's we all yearn for parts of the eighties and we're glad we've moved on from, yeah. from parts of the eighties. But one of the things I think we yearn for is that the guy who was a superstar on the field on a Sunday is back working as a storm and packer. Yeah. yeah. And it comes with the in- inbuilt humility. Yeah. And you don't get guys. I mean, I don't blame guys now for sitting around playing PlayStation and, yeah, and yeah. just disconnecting from the world. Hanging out with bikies yeah. and shit like that. Well, yeah. if you earn eight times what your father earned, it's very, very yeah. difficult to keep the humility. It yeah, just must yeah. blow. And you're not really trained in this stuff and mm. the girls are all over you. It's a um, it's a bubble. And that's why some guys, nothing sad that an Ash, uh, a washed up footy player or yeah. the stereotype of the washed up footy player still trying to cling on and... Mm. And, you know, his posse getting smaller and smaller as his money gets smaller. You see yeah. it in boxing as well. Um, guys weren't trained to handle it on the way in and certainly weren't trained to handle it on the yeah, yeah. on the way out. And Or you think your career is going to go forever. You just think yeah. you're, you're, you're bulletproof and ACL goes and you're, you're, you're back on, on the building sites. And it's um, that was a really sad part that came out of the book from, from Olsen, all his money, and he would send home his money, every cent. Yeah. And because the Polynesians look at a rugby career like a, like a, like this seasonal work program, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're bringing Polynesians into and Melanesians into, into pick bananas. They all know that wasn't going to last forever, and that money's treasured, yeah. and sent home and shared. And it talks to this wider Polynesian um, Samoan and Tongan cultural operating systems of mm. Fa'a Samoa and Ankafaka Tonga, which I had no idea about. But they're thirty five hundred years old systems of. If you don't share everything, every single visible thing across the poor family members, you're an outcast. Yeah. Yeah. And they're always saying everyone's going to have their season of abundance. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it flattens out. Yeah. And if you don't do that, and there's massive, massive things go on between player agents and yeah. and parents where the player agent's saying, we want to put 100 into uh, property development where you're going to make money and they're, not, they're distributed all back out. And that amazing story of Izzy when he was on a million the dollars at the Brisbane Broncos being put on a $150 a week spending. And for a while there, Izzy was one of those guys that call you twice and hang up so you call them back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Was, he was prepaid. I got no credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had yeah. no credit card. We all, Sting me. We yeah, all yeah. had a guy like that who yeah. would just nip you with, 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 yeah, yeah. with a couple of dials and then you know sit on the phone for half an hour when, yeah, you're, yeah. when you're calling. And that was Izzy for a while, forced into that by, yeah. and you can't convince a Polynesian otherwise. It's yeah. their thing. And I see a bit of reverse colonization because we're all feeling a bit during COVID. That, yeah. You know, we've got to take care of the weak. And I think the two communities are learning from each other in a real beautiful way, in a, yeah. in a way, rugby league, because rugby league really flattens you out. Yeah. The guy next to you is like war. Mm. If he's weak or there's a hole there, yeah. everyone plunges in on that hole. And, yeah, you know, yeah, if you're yeah. weak in the middle or you're, you're weak outside. And I think it builds a solidarity 
Yeah. You know, it's so accountable. Like I remember playing Union and I could hide in that. Yeah. I could bark a lot of orders and pull off a few tackles and yeah. win man of the match. It's like no, no. in league, it was like Balls the man of the match is, is it's yeah. a cold. Yeah. Now it's meters and tackles yeah. made. Um, it's it's a really honest, brutal, accountable sport, which a lot of people love. Yeah. And so do you think that's part of the reason why a lot of the outsiders, uh, you know, who weren't really familiar with how these kind of ancient customs work is that kind of how he might have seemed to be like a bit of an enigma to you know to to coaches and critics where they couldn't really understand why he was doing this on that one i've landed on the cultural collision yeah australia is built on the egalitarian principles of everybody you try and push in on a taxi queue an atm line a beer line yeah. at the footy at an airport. Try and create a little sideline and see what Get your happens. COVID yeah. test. Don't push yeah. in on that one. <laughs> you, you, even in you know, we all have daily bouts of road rage of yeah. someone that sneaks up the side lane yeah, and yeah. just works their way in. Mm. The greatest thing about Australia is that egalitarian fair go. Where I mean, they tried to bring in the we, we forget they tried to bring in the peerage system here. You get at the end of that, you get Frank Stanton, who mm. just by seventy years of. Uh, cultural homogeneity in Australia so you've got no idea how to manage difference Mm. everyone gets treated the same as a national character Mm -hmm. element that no one can shake and only someone of the life experience of Jack Gibson who actually realised by doing so many different things in his life from bouncer to opening bowler cricketer just a whole range of things great player um, one of those really life students of life characters he understood personalised man management early No one else did. Wayne Bennett's got that as the ex-copper, you know. Bellamy's got it now just by, you know, I don't know exactly how Bellamy got to where he understands instinctively to draft both Raiders team, you know, all these blokes from all different parts of Australia, (laughs) that Raiders era. But tell us a little bit in your book, you say, if a coach nowadays can't bring the best out of their Polynesian talent, they're, they're out of a job. That that was a comp- there was yep. a complex. It would have been very tough in the eighties. We saw it in the early two thousands. We saw Jason Taylor get his head punched in by Falago, yep. his own player, <laughs> because there, there's a level of respect in any community and any culture. And uh, for a while there, these military rugby league coaches just weren't acknowledging that they need to be a bit yep. different in their approach. The taskmaster can can be pulled off if the whole team cops it. Yeah. The moment individuals get humiliated, you yeah. have lost a Samoan. The difference between the 80s and now, there was no concept of losing the dressing room in the yeah. 1980s. The coach was the tyrant. Yeah. The coach was Kim Jong-un. Yeah. If the coach didn't like a journalist, that journalist did not get near the team. Yeah. They, they sat as the central seer of quotes that went out to the media. Yeah. They were. And they probably were father figures to a lot of... Like yeah. legitimately father figures to a lot of the guys playing. The ones that were yeah. got great success. Yeah, but yeah. Frank, you know... Graham Lowe said, there's more to a player than the guy that rocks up in a tracksuit yeah. in, in the car park. And that's the way it was. They didn't really care about They They cared that you were there on Tuesday, Thursday. That's when they had you for because it's, it's semi-pro. Yeah. You didn't yeah. have this immersion you have with the players where now that you have to be a father figure. Yeah. But the cultural collision of this egalitarian one-size-fits-all coaching style with Olsen. I mean, Olsen's effectively a mummy's boy, yeah. as a lot of Polynesian boys are, and I don't say that in a negative way, but yeah. because the fathers were such harsh disciplinarians under this Samoan code of conduct where they would brut- brutally discipline their child, the children have to do chores relentlessly. Yeah. I mean, we whinge about a bit of washing up. Yeah, yeah. But you go to Samoa or you go to South Auckland, all yeah. you see is Polynesian, you know, kids, 280-pound props out yeah. sweeping the leaves because yeah. that's it. You do yeah. the chores, you're, you are blindly respectful to parents 
you never ever question elders. And Fred Arcoy, who is like Olsen, a wizard who played for Norse for three years, and they just tried to blunt him. He said we were we're very easy to drop. Yeah. So what is in one hand very coachable is you don't yeah. get the smart ass comments back. Yeah. But he said if you're going to drop two people, always drop the Polynesian. He's yeah. not even going to look in the eyes. He's just going to look down at the floor, and yeah, they can yeah. never ever question their elders. Nigel Vangana was one of the first guys who stood up where he said to Jason Taylor, I'm not going to talk to you unless you get my name right. Yeah. Because his name is very, you know, can be yeah. manipulated a lot of different ways. Yeah. Vangana, uh, it's a very simple one yeah, yeah. To, 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 to take an elude direction. And he just, and that was a big moment. And yeah, Brad yeah. Walter talk, told me about that. He said that when he's been watching this change in Polynesian culture, and that was a real touchstone moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've tried to tell for this book the story of the Pacific phenomena through Olsen because they... Uh, will be at 60% yeah. at some stage. Yeah. This is still rugby league. Of the playing group. Of the playing yeah. group. And this is not the coaching group, not the commentating group. But, but that will come in time. Yeah. In, in, in the NFL, they had this exact same problem. Yeah. Uh, massive over-representation. 15% of African-Americans in America. Mm. 60 to 65, 70%, same as the NBA. Yeah. But they brought in the Rooney rule in America. And that means whenever there's a head coach um, advertised in the NFL, one of the three candidates has to be yeah. of color. They've got five coaches in there yeah. who are in basketball now. It's yeah. very normal to see yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, an Isaiah Thomas coaching yeah. or a, a, an African-American coach alongside the white guys. So mm -hmm. it's right now, and that comes back to Olsen. Olsen was the first one to come in that was in playing in a brains position. Mm wingers and centers but it was always the point guard in basketball can only be yeah. a white guy the quarterback can only be a white guy because yeah, the play yeah. the playbook was as thick and yeah. those stereotypes have to get slowly broken down marcus mariota is a samoan hawaiian now throwing lasers yeah. in the nfl but you need those first guys to come through to make everyone else believe and that's why i spent a lot of time in the book on jackie robinson more yeah. than a lot of people thought um you know we needed but no, I want to point out that Olsen's part of this yeah, this yeah. race pioneer group, of which Jackie Robinson is an extreme example. But Jackie Robinson, Olsen's story, they're very sad stories without the context of yeah. what they helped create. Jackie yeah. Robinson had to stay in separate hotel rooms. Guys would slide into the bases, cleats up on Jackie Robinson because yeah. they didn't want him to be there. But he ended up being the catalyst for desegregation of the army, of all government institutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Olsen's story. First sponsorship, first, yeah. Yeah, first everything. Yeah. Olsen, you know, when Tony Kemp comes along and, and Tony Kemp says, that he, when they were drafted, they mentioned to him that uh, Olsen Filipina played 5'8", I can play 5'8", we're not all brawling. And funny story in there about Tony Kemp because he was about 15 kilos heavier than the rest of them. But he always would win sprints. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. said the coaches would be so confused yeah. that they had this fat little Kiwi kids thrashing him in sprints. <laughs> and they slow, we, we had to slowly come around that big thigh and heavy build, you can still be fit with that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. build. We had the occasional Chris Close yeah, yeah. and Brad Izzards coming through who they copped <laughs> yeah. the same as Olsen. Even when Brad Izzard, you know, got off his mum's cooking and yeah, yeah, did yeah. meat and three veg and, you know, did his did his did his dieting. Uh, he still uh, he still copped it as being and the coaches would say shit in the newspapers like I reckon I can get him fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Artie, Artie Beetson used to get that. Yeah. That's the task for this coach. Can he get Artie off the meat pies? Yeah, which, which, will, get the, which will get the best out of him. And, and, and so Olsen had this overweight, and then he had Enigma. And once someone's labelled Enigma, it's like rocks and diamonds of yeah. the modern era. Once they're labelled with that, you don't have to think about them again. Yeah. And it can be a very suffocating narrative. I mean, you can't escape it. And even, even that now... That said, he, there was a moment where the whole world was watching Olsen Filipina. I mean, I'm talking specifically about the... What, what test was it? What year was it when he humiliated the king? 1985. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know, really an amazing year in rugby league. Rugby league, international rugby league had been in the doldrums. There was only three com- competitive teams. Britain was down. The Kiwis were down. There was an, a, an international transfer rule that if you left New Zealand, you couldn't play for New Zealand. Yeah, right. You were the property of the club you went to and didn't yeah. have to report for international duty. Just one of those short-sighted decisions that meant a lot of Kiwis who wanted to play. So Olsen was the first guy to come across with yeah. the new contract that said he could play for the Kiwis as well. And he blasted that through yeah. and basically got Balmain to haggle it out with the International Rugby League Board and, mm. and, 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 and get an exemption. So 1985 also, it's the end of Robert Muldoon in New Zealand, who was there, John Howard, basically the last guy who was sort of demonising migrants and really just uh, dog-whistling for one group of the population. And rugby union was on the nose. It was it stank in New Zealand after the 1981 Springboks tour. They, yeah. they went against yeah. the whole world in allowing the Springboks to tour there. 56 days of basically pitched warfare on the on, yeah. on the streets of New Zealand between the left and the right. Yeah. And yeah. and the and the bloody the, even the All Blacks themselves hated what they were doing because yeah, they, when such... they went to South Africa they were marked as honorary whites. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I know. It's just... well, there's a couple of Maori like Brian 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 Williams, Sir Brian Williams now the first big time Polynesian hero, an Olsen equivalent in rugby union had to get his paper stamped honorary right. You're absolutely uh, honorary white to to tour over there. And those guys never copped it. There's a so league had a little bit of a glow up in that moment. It had a glow up. Well, it had an, an opportunity, and it just happened to be a, a whole golden generation yeah, was coming right. through. Guys that were playing in England, guys that had been toughened up uh, by the Winfield Cup. They had all of the ingredients. They had an unbelievable captain in, in Mark Graham, who'd been really tough. Playing for Norths was not easy, and you know he he'd actually featured in in the Winfield Cup's marketing for an, an overseas player to feature in the marketing, and he was loved and. I think he's just been, you know, gone into the Hall of Fame and he's New Zealand's player of the century. You had a coach in Graham Lowe and Graham Lowe was different. He'd never played first grade um, rugby league in New Zealand. He started in eighth grade, properly <laughs> came from the absolute yeah, right. dregs of rugby league society. A student of the game. The misfits and stoners and <laughs> yeah, fatties and, yeah, yeah. you know, the guys the just... stoners, you're right. Yeah, eighth yeah, grade. Yeah. Just, they're like the cricketers of footballers. Yeah, and he turned up with his with his tracksuit pants and his clipboard and 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 went all the way through, first to introduce three nights a week training in um, in New Zealand. So he was the the catalyst for professionalism. Won two championships with Odahu, the Fox Memorial Cups there. Brisbane Norths had come last uh, in 1978, dead last. They stank. The coaching job came up for grabs. There'd never been a Kiwi coach in Australia. He came in. The BRO was a very, very, very parochial competition. Yeah, yeah. You know, believe they were the equal of Sydney without mm. the, the, the the poking money. They had some good teams. And produced Mal Meninga, produced Wally Lewis, produced guys that would crash crush us in, in state yeah. of origin. So really talent-wise yeah. the same, maybe fitness a bit different. Uh, took North, 25 players walked out when they heard this misfit New Zealand coach was coming across. He blended together players together using his man management, created great correct careers like Mark Murray, took them to fifth, and then in 1980, the greatest win in BRL history, the greatest underdog, the, the Leicester City of the BR, yeah. Queensland Rugby was League. Vorton was in that side? He no. would have been coming up no, through no, that era. No, but no, it wasn't no, Paddy. No, it was a bit like earlier. Zoo, guy, guy called Zulu Campbell. Yeah. Joe Kilroy went from sort yeah, of biker stoner yeah. to wizard. I think he's in the he joint knew how to, he knew how to manage the wayward guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a nod, non-judgmental way, just like Phil Jackson with Dennis Rodman. Yeah. yeah. Let him do his... <laughs> Don't put a saddle on a Mustang. <laughs> yeah, just, just... Let him just... do his time in Vegas. You know, let him have his time. It's long leash. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah. Yep, as long as he gets his boards, yeah, yeah. life's a, good. A long leash that's yep. made of Kevlar. Yep. Yep. You know? <laughs> Just much wider boundaries. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but have boundaries there all the same. And don't jump on his head, you know. Yeah. And gently, g- gently, g- gently, it's a horse whispering. Yeah, yeah. Very, very gently bring him back. Don't humiliate him. And he'll actually feel guilty and come back and play twice as hard. Yeah. And in that moment in time, 1985, in Brisbane, yeah. Olsen outplayed Wally for 80 minutes. Unbelievable. So Olsen's picked from reserve grade in eastern suburbs. Graham Lowe talks to his mother for an hour before he selects him at 5'8". I mean, what coach is talking to a player's mother? You'd have to understand Polynesians to know that. Comes back to Olsen, says, spoke to, you, spoke to your mother. She says, um, and that was when phone calls were costly. Yeah. At one yeah. stage with Olsen's homesickness, he had an $800 phone bill home. Yeah, right. You know, way more than he's earning playing footy for that, for, for that month. So he comes into Olsen and says, uh, you know, I spoke to your mum and she said, if you don't get over Wally, she thinks you've, she's seen you at your best. She thinks you've got Wally, you're bigger than him, um, you've got more skills than him and she'll give you a clip here if you don't. <laughs> Olsen fires up. So you've got Olsen in the centre of the park attacking Australia's nerve centre, yeah. Wally Lewis. No one expected the attack to come from, yeah. from there. It's the old, you know, attack them yeah. in the strongest part of the line. You've got Kevin Tamadi. So you've got Olsen, the skill guy in the middle, and you've got Kevin, Kevin Tarmody, rugby league's absolute junkyard dog, the guy Wally Lewis said is the toughest player ever, who said, I'm going to stop Australian racism right here. This series, it stops. Because he'd been racially vilified um, yeah. on, in, in, a, in a previous series in 1982, and he said it stops here. And uh, he said that all the lip stops. We're going to get respect now. We're not just... Uh, they, they, think, they think we're not tough. Yeah. And in one of the matches, it was either the 82, 83 or 85 tour, New Zealand had played Queensland without their imports and got yeah. done 40-12. And it was, <laughs> it was like, whoa. So there was a, 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 this low watermark of respect in Australia for New Zealand. And there's a homecoming too. We've got the, the boys are finally yep. allowed to put on that jersey. If so you've got, so you've got wallet, yeah, you've got, and this pride in the Kiwi jersey is an amazing, this amazing thing. You see it in the All Blacks now. So you've got Wally... The week after the Brisbane Test about to be crowned the first ever Adidas Golden Boot International Rugby League Player of the Year. He has won for Winner Manly. He has won for Queensland. He has Valley won for, for, for Australia. 3-0 <laughs> against Great Britain. He's won everything. He's, they've won the midweek Amco Cup for Brisbane. Yeah. Every single trophy. He <laughs> is the lord of all creation. And I think Brett Kenny should absolutely be an immortal. And the, the fact that Wally yeah. was over Brett Kenny more. And yeah. Brett Kenny gave him a lot of trouble, but that says, yeah. for me, yeah. more than anything about where Wally sits yeah. against Andrew Johns or whatever, yeah. the fact that he was able to outplay Brett Kenny for me says, yeah. and, and and be captain at the same time. You've got to factor that in. So all these ingredients go into the into the pot. And, and you watch Olsen, he looks like he's giving Wally stink eye before. Yeah. It's like he's realised my back is to the wall now and there comes a time when a man has to, yeah. um, you know. And he, so you've got, this great historical drama with Wally and Olsen, yeah. the two best players of their countries of a generation, yeah. one not allowed to shine in, in Sydney, and it's so richly peopled with characters, that yeah. series, Graham Lowe and Terry Fernley, yeah, yeah. New South Wales coach and Australian coach. They had to come in with the Fernley rule after that to stop that yeah, yeah, yeah. because um, after the second test, which Australia won, sorry to jump ahead to yeah. the second test, but Australia won the second test, but Terry Fernley still made four yeah, changes yeah. and moved four Queenslanders out of the first starting 13. And yeah, yeah. it started a war. And Graham Lowe said, I knew if I could exploit the gap between the, the, the New South Wales-Queensland 
rivalry. If I yeah. can drive a wedge between them, that's a great strategy. Yeah, and, and it's one of the great, if you look yeah. at the, the underdog strategy as a, as a science, yeah, yeah. that's one of them. Yeah, yeah, divide yeah. and conk, divide them into two digestible yeah, yeah, yeah. Piece, <clears throat> pieces to deal with. And he, it had been threatening to burn. That's what Super War, Super yeah. League yeah. War was. Effect yeah. it bubbled up again. Yeah, it was yeah. Queensland getting left out of things or yeah. feeling they were. Same, wanting to, same thing happens in a federal election, mate. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, which the Labor Party keeps Except learning. the last one. You know? Yes, Albo. The constituents of the constituents of Grandler and the constituents of Queensland. The only Venn diagram they share yeah. is oxygen yeah. breathing. So I'm a, I'm a Jim Chalmers man. Yeah, if yeah. we want to win, yeah, yeah. If yeah. we want to keep projecting our um, exciting micro issues onto people, then and and losing, that's fine. But well, yeah, he's 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 from the engine room at Queensland down there in. We need a Logan Prime Minister right now. Yeah, yeah. There was a time when you needed to win Melbourne over. Yeah. When Melbourne was the uh, the swing state, as they yeah. as they call it, then Albo made perfect sense. It's, yeah. not, it's not whether you're a good bloke or not, Albo. Yeah. But <laughs> Marrickville sounds a lot like, you know, it's very Longman convoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, and, and Queensland will rear their head. Yep. And, and I guess that's... That is an interesting thing about Wally and Olsen's rivalry in that they were both ignored by New South Wales. They were both ignored and yeah. probably outsiders. They were put down and, and yeah. it's it's no uh, coincidence that New Zealanders love Queensland, yeah. that Papua New Guineans love Queensland because mm-hmm. they are the outsiders. Mm-hmm. And Victorians love Queensland. Victorians love Queensland. Really is Australia's and, Florida. And the only coach <laughs> ever to be allowed into the inner sanctum of Queensland Rugby League origin was Graham Lowe. Yeah. They let a Kiwi in. They would never, ever let a New South Welshman in. <laughs> and I remember the comments coming out of Queensland were, we owe Graham Lowe more than we could ever repay him. Yeah. And that is the, you know. Yeah. For me, they say, who's the greatest coach? All right, Bellamy, uh, one club forever. That's yeah. great. For me, do you have a transportable set of man management skills that can work anywhere? Yeah. Now, he's worked in working class New Zealand, Graham Lowe, he turned Wigan. When we think of powerhouses, yeah. who's yeah. the Man United of of English Rugby League? Wigan. Wigan. Yeah. He yeah. started that whole thing, fed yeah. it into Moni. Moni took it onwards. Um, Brisbane yeah. Rugby League. Another. Let's let's not say Sydney's better than anywhere else. Let's just yeah. say they got pokies for the for for, for the moment because Origin for me proved that. Yeah. And and New Zealand when it's been able to get its act together. And in Brisbane, he won a competition as well. And in Manly, he was on his way here before he had two life-threatening operations and yeah. had to call it off. But you talk to Ian Roberts, you talk to Cliff Lyons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved by all. So he, I think he puts his hand up with a few others on yeah. being the greatest coach of all time, proven in multiple cultural conditions yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So Olsen and Wally squashed the beef the other night, actually, on the Matty John show. But that was a, that was a thing. Yeah. Wally, and it was, a bit, it was a bit ordinary, but Wally couldn't shake his hand after that match. I've done a lot of digging around this, and I've made my peace with it. Yeah. So after the first test, so Wally, so Wally gets crowned, you know, the week after the greatest player in rugby league, and he's been humiliated in this game by a reserve grade Garbo mm. who came from nowhere. Yeah. He'd been, he'd been a, a very good player on the international stage, but he'd played centre before. He hadn't yeah, yeah. been on Wally, and what a masterstroke to move him to, to five yeah. to, 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 to show his full range of skills. So. Normally after the game, the players all get to have a beer. Hey, I code hanged you. Ha ha ha. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, hail fellow, well met. We're yeah. part of yeah. this international thing. Let's go out yeah, on yeah. the turf somewhere. Um, life's good. Let's go. Get Olsen says he, at the regatta. Olsen says he. Yeah. Olsen says he. <laughs> the stocky. Yeah, would have been in Fortitude Valley yeah. Yeah. back then. And Olsen says he went to shake Wally's hand. Wally brushed him, and Olsen said, "Right, there's something." Captain Cook wrote about it. There's something in the Maori disposition which they are your very best friend or they're your very worst nightmare. He said, you don't wrong the Māori and you yeah. see it. Uh, the 
they learned it with the Napui. Yeah. You muck around with the Treaty of Waitangi. Yeah. Uh, these guys will go you. It's, yeah. this, it's this either unbelievable hospitality. Yeah. It's reciprocity of hospitality or reciprocity of fire and anger. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a there is an unbelievable mu- the movie called Utu. Yeah. And Utu is this concept. And Quentin Tarantino called it the greatest ever New Zealand movie. Yeah. It's actually free on YouTube at the moment. It's about yeah. a guy, and a Maori who joins the British Army gets betrayed and just turns yeah. Mad Max on them and yeah. it's uh it's, it's a great movie and olsen has that side of him where mm. if it's triggered or if he's humiliated and he just raised the black flag on 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 wally lewis <laughs> and i spoke to florimo greg florimo from yeah. north he said yeah wally brushed me after a game as well and i spoke to wally and he said yeah after a game i had the shits if ever i lost yeah. the last person i want to talk to is the guy, that was the guy. <laughs> and we saw it in michael jordan yeah, yeah these yeah. absolute champion guys mm. who are almost guaranteed to deliver you a victory if they're on your team yeah like that's Scott Burrell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, he's got some rings. Yeah, yeah. And he, but he got bullied by Jordan by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Yeah, 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 so yeah. if you want to join, be on Wally's, Wally's not going to talk to you. Yeah. And we saw it with Isaiah Thomas, you know. He didn't want to talk, shake hands. He'd want to do it. There are some guys that are like that. And, and Graham Lowe is in a unique position of having coached Wally for Queensland mm. and having coached Olsen for Kiwis. And he says he fully understands. Wally was the most competitive guy yeah. he'd ever met like that. And he would drag everyone up to his level. Yeah. And he was a general like that. The best guy, because you only had to tell him anything once. Yeah. Similar to Olsen, very shy yeah, yeah, Wally yeah. as well. Yeah. Wally says it's in his, his in his biography, a shy guy and a free spirit. When you yeah. look at Wally playing 1978, 99, he was a chip and chase man Yeah, from his own half. Mm. And it was only the Sydney robots you know, led by Warren Ryan who worked out this sludge ball yeah. version of defense-oriented football. Why? Because they had the pokies and they yeah. didn't have to rely on the ter- entertaining football for the turnstiles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Warren Ryan was good for the game, bad for the game. I'm a Dogs fan. I'll take the two. Yeah. Uh, premierships or... And, and he's uh, still and, punching blokes down in fucking Maroubra, isn't he? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And he and he and he's trapped in another in a, in a, in another time and place as well. And I, I, I've made peace on judging those guys because um, what else could they be coming out of uh, you know a race based immigration policy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to have a superiority complex. Mm. Yet there were some people that didn't, and that's the joy of rugby league. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's such a boxing's the same. Mm. Boxing was the first to draw the colour line in Australia because you're both the same weight. Yeah. Yeah, boxing had Aboriginal trainers training white guys in the twenties yeah, because yeah. it's so honest and so truthful and so yeah. no nonsense. There's, yeah. there's no room for bullshit. Well, that's yeah. The boxing troops have been a big part of that in the bush too. You know, it's the only way off the mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was to go to athletics meets or go on Jimmy mm. Sharma's boxing yeah. um, traveling troops, and uh, you know, and the Aboriginals used to come to town and see these guys crack the the, the, the white guys, and, and mm. they were heroes. And a yeah, lot of yeah. rows and uh, yeah. all, all came out of that tradition. Now Olsen is still is still working. He's he's going to get put in a Hall of Fame, I'm sure, at some point in New Zealand. But he's in the New Zealand League of Legends. They've yeah. got 51 people inducted into their Hall of yeah, Fame, yeah, and he's yeah. he's a second ballot guy. I, I don't I don't think he's going to be in the NRL Hall of Fame no. unless the PC stuff goes mad. Because yeah. like Frank Fisher would be in the NRL Hall of Fame because he yeah, was an, an, Kathy Freeman's grandfather yeah, yeah. was an unbelievable rugby league player for yeah. Wide Bay and in Queensland, but. Yeah. Uh, was never picked for any rep sides, and the British tried to to get him to go over play there, yeah. and they stopped him because of the the Aboriginal Act. So I don't think you can pick on potential or what could have been. That opens yeah. up a can of worms yeah, at, yeah. An, yeah. at an unbelievable level. Yeah. Uh, but what I wanted to do in the book was fix or provide a second narrative and add Olsen's voice to history 
that he played a lot of great games in Sydney and a lot of the times he was dropped mm. were because he had a clash with the coach. Nothing yeah. to do with form. Yeah. And once you're doing eight weeks in Reggie's, of course that's going to ruin your confidence. Yeah, and you're yeah, starting yeah. to think you're not loved. He needed a father figure who loved him like a second son. All of the coaches do that. And it goes back to that earlier point. You got 9.6 million. What's your money ball move as an NRL coach now? If you don't get the best out of 50% of your playing yeah. stock, you're not going to win. Yeah. Mm. Absolute point blank. Yeah. The Moneyball movies get the best out of your poly guys and your Maori guys and your Aboriginal guys who are the majority of playing groups. You've had them all together. They're 60% of the yeah. of the elite. Get the best out of those guys, you're going to win. And yeah. they love Trent. The Polynesian guys love, love Trent Robinson. They yeah. love Bellamy. And it's no coincidence those two uh, are the coaches of the last 10 years yeah. for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Olsen Filipina, it's a great story. Could have very well been an immortal playing under some of these coaches in this era. But, you know, there's been plenty plenty more like him that have come over since. And, uh, yeah, Pacific Pioneer, that is in your new book, The Big O. Patrick Skin, thank you for joining us today. Yep. Honoured to bear witness for Olsen Filipina, the, the Galloping Garbo and Pacific Revolution Pioneer. What an honour. Yeah. yeah. What a great yarn. Mm-hmm. 